I am your host, Jeff Gluck, and I'm coming to you today from Portland, Oregon. I'm in our apartment for the first time doing the podcast, and uh, hopefully the sound quality is okay. I'll have to work on that if it's not, but i um, really excited to be finally talking to you from here after a long moving process. It's been a crazy month. It was just a month ago that we were leaving Albuquerque to go to Charlotte and uh, at the end of Sarah's internship. Then we get back a day later, and we find out. Um, we are moving to Oregon, so it's been sort of a whirlwind since then, but we're finally here, um, surrounded by some boxes, although Sarah's been really busting her butt in particular. I can't say I've been pulling my weight as much on the unpacking, so that's a good thing. Hopefully, it'll feel like home pretty soon, but in the meantime, I have a 12 questions interview with Michael McDowell for you today. Uh, Michael McDowell's always been really helpful to me over the years, so appreciate him doing this and uh, want to hear what he has to say. All right, I'm here with Michael McDowell. And uh, Michael, the first question is, how much of your success is based on your natural ability and how much has come from working at it? Yeah, that's a hard question. Um, I think that for me, I would say 60-40. 60 being working at it and 40 being natural ability. I mean, ever since I was a kid, I've been competitive and been able to you know, run at a high level, but I feel like the biggest separation in my later years in my career was just, just working hard at it, you know? Um, so yeah, I say 60% effort, 40% ability. All right. makes sense. So Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart, Carl Edwards, and now Dale Jr. have all either retired or announcing their retirement in the last couple of years here. What's your pitch for fans of theirs to become fans of yours? <laughs> pitch <laughs> I don't know you know it's funny because I uh, I think that your fans are your fans because they like you and because they can relate to you um, and you know you hear people say well I was a Tony fan and now I'm trying to figure out who to be a fan of and normally they'll migrate to somebody similar personality wise driver style wise things like that so uh, I don't really have a pitch I mean I like I'd like to think that my fans are my fans because they they relate to me and they want to be you know fans of Michael McDowell. Uh, what is the hardest part of your job away from the racetrack? You know this job's not very hard. You know the it's, we get paid to drive around in circles, but there's a lot to it. I think the hardest part is just balancing your your work life and your family life. That's probably the hardest thing, just because it requires. I mean, racing requires everything you have. It requires, you know, just even when you're not doing it, you're still thinking about it. So, you know, when you're home, you're still thinking about the next week and I'm watching video and I'm looking at data. And even when I'm not doing those things, I'm still thinking about it, you know. And so the hard part is just being able to to switch it off and, and switch it on. And, you know, it's, it's ingrained in you racing. So you just live and breathe it. You sort of never get away from it in some ways. Yeah, exactly. It feels like you never get away from it. So let's say a fan spots you eating dinner in a nice restaurant. Should they come over and approach for an autograph or no? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't, I don't have any issues with that. I mean, um, 
it doesn't happen all the time. So for me, it probably wouldn't be that big of a deal. Um, but I, you know, I feel like there's always a time and place to do it. And so timing is really critical, but for fans, they don't know what that looks like. So, you know, it's what we signed up for, right? So I always just have a little extra, like, you know, just grace knowing that they're just excited and doesn't really, it's not that big of a deal, whatever it is you're doing. What is a story in NASCAR that doesn't get enough coverage? You know, there's lots of stories. I mean, I think that if you look at the, from 15th back, it doesn't get enough coverage for anybody. Um, you know, we're, we're a sport of 40 drivers um, compared to other sports that have, you know, hundreds and thousands of athletes. And yet we still only focus on 10 guys. And so um, I think just telling the other stories and telling um, who those people are and, and their teams and and just more to it than just the 10 guys that are all retiring. <laughs> yeah. Um, who's the last driver you texted? Last driver I texted. I don't know. Hold on. Let me get my phone. Okay. Pulling it up on your nice red, orangish phone case. I don't know if that's red or orange. Some combo of the two. Yeah, it's bright because I leave it everywhere. Oh. So this is, helps me. Last driver. Uh, Cole Witt, David Reagan. Those were the last two. You got a group chat or something? No. no. Um, let's see. I asked David Reagan about uh, Pocono taking the kids to the water park. That's that's the intense conversations you have with drivers. <laughs> Thank you for that insight. Uh, do you consider race car drivers to be entertainers? Uh, some of them are. Um, there's a lot of personalities in the sport. There's, I don't I don't consider this to be an entertainment sport from the standpoint of our of us uh, as far as characters go. You know, on the racetrack, I think it's an entertainment sport. Uh, but there's a lot of characters in our sport. There's a lot of people that are quite entertaining um, that don't always show it, you know. Uh, what is your middle finger policy on the racetrack? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of it. Um, yeah, I mean, over the years, I've kind of changed a little bit. But, I mean, it used to be if somebody gave me a finger, I would do everything I could to get to their bumper and hit them. Uh, most of the time, if they gave you the finger, it was because you're holding them up and they were faster than you, so usually you can't catch them to hit them. Um, but, I mean, I just I, I know it's like everybody has their own thing about it. Um, but what I've learned is that most of the time when I do something of retaliation, I get myself in trouble too, so it's usually not worth it. <laughs> so you just kind of go with it. Did you ever successfully catch somebody and hit them after they gave you the finger? Yeah, yeah, lots of people. Yeah, and then that makes them really mad. <laughs> yeah, but um, that's the whole idea. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So some drivers keep a payback list in their mind for negative reasons if somebody's done them wrong. Do you also keep a payback list? In fact, I remember you kept a payback list, you said, on the inside of your uniform at one point. But do you also keep a payback list um, for positive reasons, like if somebody's cut you a break on the track or done you a favor? Yeah, you know, the races, they, they go in these, you know, like momentum, right? And it kind of the ebbs and flows, if you want to call it that. So, um Yes, you do remember when somebody cuts you a break. Um, and cutting somebody a break could be, you know, when you're catching them really quickly and they just don't hold you up. Or it could be just, you know, merging off a of pit road and just letting you not get pinned down on the bottom, whatever it is. So, 
you, you know, you do remember that. Um, as far as like a retaliation list, you know, same thing is like, you know, I used to be like, would really enforce it. And, and now it's not that I've gotten soft, but it's just, it doesn't help anybody. If anything, it just hurts you. You know, like, uh, AJ and I were, you know, at it at the beginning of the year and I mean, we were just hurting ourselves. We were just costing ourselves spots because we we're both in that red mist mindset and we weren't going anywhere. Um, so I just, you know, was able to sit down with them after a couple of races like that and just say, all right, man, we got to figure it out. Even if it means we got to, you know, cut ourselves, cut each other a little bit of breaks for the next couple of weeks just to get over the, <laughs> the hump because it, you know, when you start losing points and you start, you know, tearing up bodies, it makes a lot of work for the guys for no reason. So heat of the moment, things happen and that's part of it. But it's, yeah, you know, separating the track and off track is important too. Who's the most famous person that you have had dinner with? Well, I don't know. Um, famous is relative. Who you would think would be famous and who I think would be famous would be different, right? That's true. Well, it could be uh, to you. So, or, you know, somebody that you were fascinated by, I guess. Um, so, yeah, Mo probably Mario Andretti. Um, when Marco was real young, he, um, I did some driver coaching with him at, at Sebring. And uh, just being around the Andrettis, the family was pretty cool just because I grew up an Andretti fan and, um, and, and a Mario fan in particular. So that's probably pretty cool. Yeah, that's a good one. What is something about yourself that you would like to improve? <laughs> Lots. Um, on the racetrack? <laughs> uh, you can answer however you want. Yeah, I mean, I think that we're, I don't know how you are, but I'm constantly trying to improve, you know? Um, whether that's parenting my kids or, or trying to be a good husband or trying to make the most of my opportunity here. So I'm constantly taking inventory of, all right, these are the areas that are good and you highlight those and these are the areas you still got to work on. And I feel like, um, probably more than anything is just patience and just being slow to speak. <laughs> Sometimes I get myself in trouble. So, um, typically at this point, Michael, I ask a question that the last driver has given me, but I screwed up the last interview, which was supposed to be with Paul Menard. So there's no question for Paul Menard. So uh, would you like to ask yourself a question here and answer it? Or would you just like to skip this part and move on to your no, question for the... Uh, question. Oh, you want to ask me a question? So with your, I don't want to say career change, but just job description change, how is it being an independent versus working for the big brother? Well, it's a lot more fun, Michael. <laughs> First of all, uh, I feel like I can do a lot more what I want. But I, what I was worried is that like, not people like you, because you've always been nice to me, but um, some people that are, have more difficult PR people might not give me as many interviews and access and stuff. And uh, for the most part, people have said yes all year. So that's really nice. Does that surprise you? No, it doesn't surprise me because this sport's still relational and you've spent years building those relationships. So I don't think it matters who you work for or you know who you drive for or who your sponsors are. When you build good relationships, I mean, I think people they care more about you than who you work for. That's nice of you to say. Thank you. So, um, there will be a next interview, hopefully. So, uh, I don't know. Uh, 
I know I've just left you hanging double here, uh, but do you have a question? You know, you always come up with good questions. I think one of people who may recall a few years ago, you came up with one, which was, uh, I think, would you rather be a, uh, known as a good driver or a good person? Yeah. That, that got a lot of good responses. So yeah. maybe you can come up with another good one here. No, no pressure. No pressure. Um, what is the reasonings for retirement? What, 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 what is the things that would cause you to say, okay, you know what? That's it. I'm good. So like when they know it's time, yeah. what, what's going to be driving that? Do I think? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Interesting. Well, thanks again yeah. for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks. Appreciate it. So there you have it. 12 questions with Michael McDowell. Uh, tomorrow we'll have a social spotlight interview with Brad Kozlowski, one of the pioneers of NASCAR social media, I would say, given his, um, famous Twitter photo from inside the car of the Juan Pablo Montoya jet dryer incident. Um, I do have a couple shout outs to give from my patrons. Uh, this week that includes Sarah Turley, Pamela Nielsen, Brian Myers, and Robbie Romero. Thank you guys all so much for being patrons of the podcast and the website. Uh, I've been looking at flights and airfares. <laughs> from Portland. I spent um, all day Tuesday doing that, trying to get ahead of uh, on some planning now or really catch up on some planning for what races I can go to. And uh, yeah, shocker, uh, I'm sure you figured out travel is going to be a lot more expensive from the West Coast now that uh, we are here in Portland. So I'm going to have to try to figure out some creative ways to do that. Obviously, I'm looking at some Airbnbs instead of hotels and things like that, but the flights in particular seem a little bit outrageous. So rest assured, if you're a patron, um, much of your money is going right back into my NASCAR travel. So I appreciate you uh, allowing me to do that and continue uh, being in this job. So like I said, tomorrow, Brad Keselowski, Social Spotlight. Uh, I won't be at Michigan, so um, I will be here in Portland to do the post-race Michigan podcast. We'll see um, who I can wrangle up for that. But uh, as always, appreciate you listening, and I'll talk to you next time on the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast.